0: brought to you by CGTN Europe.
1: Welcome to The Agenda podcast. I'm Stephen Cole. Today on The Agenda, we take a look at what makes us happy. How do we define happiness? Is trying too hard to be happy, in fact, making us miserable? To answer these questions and more, I caught up with a professor of psychiatry to see how happiness and sadness are inextricably linked. I also speak to an expert about how governments are starting to take the happiness of their citizens more seriously. But first, I speak to Dr. Loretta Bruning, a celebrated author and also the founder of the Inner Mammal Institute, an organization dedicated to highlighting how our brain chemistry can impact our sense of well being.
2: happy. It's a brain chemical being released that makes us feel good. People have probably heard of these chemicals, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphin. And it's amazing to learn that these chemicals are in animals. And animals can't, like, cover them up the way humans can with our verbal brain. So when you study what they do in animals, it's so easy to see that that's what's going on in us every minute of every day.
1: So we we can see uh, neurons uh, Mm -hmm. behind us. The importance of those mood swings, do they stem from neurons and chemicals in the brain?
2: So here's the thing. The things that make us happy are really curious. Like sometimes you say, why would I care about that? I don't want to care about that. And I really would rather be happy about this, but I'm not. So anything that stimulated your dopamine when you were young, connected neurons that turn on the dopamine and the positive expectation, when you see anything similar today. Anything that stimulated your serotonin when you were young builds a pathway that turns it on today. And that's why life is complicated.
1: So happiness all stems from childhood then. Is that what you're saying?
2: Um, We can build new pathways later on, but it's very hard. And when people know that it's hard and how to do it and why it's hard, then it helps to give you the the resolution to do what it takes, which is repetition, in one word, of a new behavior.
1: In today's hyper-connected world, it's easy to see the unhappiness elsewhere uh, and around you. So how do you remain positive? How do you stay happy amidst all that gloom?
2: The first step is to give yourself permission to be happy rather than feeling like you need to share in the unhappiness of others in order to connect. Because as mammals, we want to be connected to a group. But if your group is unhappy, then you feel like, When you're happy, you're separated from the group, and in the animal world, separation from the group means instant death in the jaws of a predator. So to have the confidence to say, I can be happy and still be connected to the degree I want.
1: Do you have to experience misery or suffering in order to know what happiness is? In other words, to compare?
2: Uh, I hear that thought a lot. I don't think necessarily, but the other view of it is most people have experienced misery because our brain actually defaults to the negative. Because in the state of nature, if I could either run from a predator or eat more grass, what would I do? Well, running from a predator has higher priority because you could always live without the next meal. So we default to the negative. And that pathway gets built up. Uh, What do you mean, the neurons get built? The neural pathway, the connections between the neurons. And actually, when you were young, those neurons built bigger and stronger. They get um, insulated. With a substance called myelin that makes them like super highways. And a simple example is when you speak your native language, you're using your myelinated neurons and it seems to come effortlessly. Whereas when you try to speak a foreign language, it's hard. And it's just like that when your emotions just got wired to cut, turn on effortlessly, but with effort, you can learn new emotional responses.
1: That was Dr. Loretta Bruning, founder and owner of the Inner Mammal Institute. Even though it's clear that our brains are wired to reward happiness, how important is it in our everyday lives? And can the relentless pursuit of happiness lead to unhappiness? For more answers on those questions, I spoke to Professor Trudy Cholder from the Institute of Psychiatry at King's College London.
0: Most of us will um, experience a whole range of different emo- emotions, including um, happiness or joy from time to time. But you can't really experience some um, joy or pleasure if you're not experiencing sadness and um, other emotions or anger, for example.
1: Comparatively, yeah. in other words. Yeah. So it, it, doesn't it depend on how you decide to live your life that makes you happy or not?
0: Yeah, I think that's the key, that rather than striving for specific um, emotional um, feeling, such as happiness, it would be better to think about what it is that's important to you. So what do you value? And if you're living your life according to your values, such as connectedness or um, contribution to society or something like that, then you're much more likely to feel content more of the time. Is there a
1: science of happiness?
0: Well, I think, yes, there is, in that people probably focus more on the opposite of happiness and that's sadness, uh, depression and anxiety. So people are very keen to try and get rid of those kinds of feelings such as um, anxiety and depression. But again, the more you try and get rid of these things, often the more they come and bite you on the nose. Um, And to some extent, I think some tolerance of, of discomfort is important. And, of course, if you keep um, your focus on what's important to you and what you value, then um, the emotions, the unpleasant emotions that you may be feeling um, will be dampened down.
1: So, if you feel included in a group, mm. you're going to feel happier?
0: I think the evidence would suggest that, but, of course, that's very much dependent on the kind of person you are. So, if you're more of a, an introverted person, you may need more space for yourself. Um, whereas a very outgoing person may um, like to spend a lot more time um, in the company of others.
1: And especially in a pack, because one pointer has been, you know, the reward suggested by chasing as a pack mm. can lead to the release of dopamine, the happiness, uh, what would you call it, happiness drug, happiness...
0: Yeah, I suppose it's, um, it, dri- it's a, it drives you, doesn't
1: it? Yeah. That's for sure. Um, and should we live, do you think... Uh, if we can, by uh, a PMA, a sort of positive mental attitude. Uh-huh. Now, this is more up your street. Isn't
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, f- for me, I think that that's um, probably a mistake. In that you can't stop feeling what you're feeling. So, if somebody says adopt a positive mental attitude, and you're not feeling, you're feeling a bit grumpy, it rarely is going to, ha- it's not going to help. Um, whereas if you. Decide that you're going to continue with whatever you plan to do despite what you're feeling and if you are feeling a little bit low or anxious um, But you carry on with those things then that's likely um, To be more helpful to you
1: because I'm naturally grumpy I suppose
0: Are you you don't uh, appear to be very well? Grumpy. No,
1: no, not always but <laughs> I, I pretend to be grumpy sometimes. Right. Yeah, uh, do you need a degree of grumpiness in, in your makeup? Uh, to allow yourself later to feel happy. I mean, is that yes, so, well, because there is a cult of happiness, isn't there? You've yeah. all got to be smiley.
0: Yeah, and that seems to me to be frankly ridiculous that you all have to be smiley. I mean, obviously some people are slightly more smiley than others by nature. Yeah. Um, and you can't help how you're born. You're born with the things that you're born with in terms of your personality. But I think it's quite useful to accept the sorts of emotions that come your way. Um, we all have stresses to deal with on a day-to-day day basis and sometimes we have, you know, major life events to contend with and it would be frankly ridiculous to be going around with a smile on your face when you've just lost a loved one, for example, or you've just lost a job.
1: And how can uh, cognitive behavioural therapy help us become more positive, help us become happier?
0: Mm. Well, cognitive behaviour therapy is the sort of umbrella term that's used for a range of different um, therapies for mood disorders. Um, There's one school of thought which um, suggests that you can um, challenge your unhelpful thoughts directly and come up with alternative ways of looking at a situation. So it's not replacing a negative thought with a positive one, but it's being able to be flexible in terms of how you look at a situation.
1: We've looked at happiness in individuals and how it can be achieved in groups of people. But how does a government go about making a whole country happy? To find out more, I spoke to Mike Viking from the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen. Yeah, I, I know it sounds
3: like a, a magical place, and people imagine we have you know, a room full of puppies and a room full of ice cream, but uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, we are a group of people that are trying to look at happiness, well-being, uh, and quality of life from a scientific perspective. So we look at data, we look at evidence, we look at at, at studies. Um, and, and it's actually a, an old profession. Um, our first colleague was Aristotle, who 2,000 years ago tried to answer some of the same questions we try to answer
1: today. Well, every year we hear or we seem to hear that Scandinavian countries are the happiest in the world. And I think Finland is currently the happiest place to live in the world. W- what is it about Scandinavia that makes Scandinavian so happy? Well, the thing about the Nordic
3: or Scandinavian model is that it's relatively good at converting wealth into well-being. So access to healthcare, access to university education, uh, relatively good benefits for the unemployed, relatively good pension schemes. Um, So the Nordic model is good at reducing causes for unhappiness. And the rankings like the World Happiness Report are usually built around averages. And uh, you can call the Nordic countries the happiest in the world. You could also turn it around and say they are the least unhappy. Um, But A lot of things work really well uh, in the Nordic countries that allow people to enjoy uh, a high level of quality of life.
1: Uh, Quality of life must be uh, an important factor uh, in your measurements. So if you're taking a subjective view uh, of a particular society, you'll also be highlighting social inequalities, uh, won't you? Do you then try and influence governments with that information? So there's two questions, so, so yeah, if we, look at,
3: if we look at happiness, we need to look at inequality in well-being as well, and actually the 2016 World Happiness Report was the first sort of global ranking uh, looking not just at countries' averages. Uh, in terms of well-being, but also the inequality, the distribution of, of well-being. Um, so that was the first report doing that. We also talk with different governments to answer your second questions in terms of what they can do to first of all start measuring well-being or quality of life and second, uh, what they can do in terms of, of improving uh, happiness
1: levels or well-being levels for uh, their populations. Once you've identified the various factors that make a country happier. How do you sustain that? Um, In other words, how do you make it more equal across the society? Well, it depends what the situation
3: is uh, of the different country uh, or given country. But we can see when we look at the average happiness level uh, there is usually around six factors that explain uh, 75% of the variance between the different countries in the World Happiness Report. So, in the World Happiness Report you will have 156 countries, uh, the Scandinavian countries in the top together with uh, Switzerland, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, uh, the Netherlands. In in the least uh, happy countries you have countries like uh, Syria, uh, Central African Republic, uh, Burundi. But if you look at the entire spectrum of countries there, we can see that six factors explain the majority of the differences. So, GDP per capita. So wealth matters, uh, healthy life expectancy, uh, freedom from corruption, so good governance, freedom to make life decisions, um, uh, generosity in a society and social support. So if you also see large levels of inequality in a, in a society, I would look at, for example, inequalities in, in wealth or
1: inequalities in, in, in freedom or health. What about social media? Mike and young people because some suggest social media creates more angst than it does happiness. What's your feeling? What's your thoughts there? Well, with, with the research we've done on it, uh, it depends
3: how you use social media. So, like with a lot of other uh, tools and technologies, it can be a a force for good and it can be a force for for bad. So if you use social media to compare yourself with other people um, and sort of use that as a, a constant channel of bombardment of great news that happens for everybody else, then it can might uh, undermine your satisfaction with life. But if you use social media to connect uh, with other people, uh, to share things, to organize social events, uh, then it might actually be, uh, be something that, that, that benefits you in, in a positive
1: way. And that brings us to the end of another edition of The Agenda podcast. The Agenda with Stephen Cole airs every Saturday on CGTN.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, remember to listen to more quality content at europe.cgtn.com. The most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth?
0: Will man or machine be in charge?
1: Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on, uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person.
2: That's where the credibility lies.
1: The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us.
2: The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world,
1: can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve?
3: Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions.
1: There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project.
0: Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail.
3: Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast
0: from CGTN Europe.